everyone, and welcome to the Legacy Cafe podcast with your host, Rob Lucy. Rob is the author of the book, How Will You Be Remembered? A Guide for Creating and Enjoying Your Legacies Now. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and find yourself a seat in the Legacy Cafe. Here's Rob. Thanks, Kathy. Yes, I'm Rob Lucy, and welcome to the Legacy Cafe. You know what I was thinking the other day? As we get older and the, the world changes, does each generation think differently about what our legacies could be? As, as one generation crosses the line and another takes its place as stewards of the world and our economy, our environment, social justice, war and peace, all that stuff, does this new group automatically think differently about things like the legacies they leave behind? And... Well, first of all, full disclosure, I'm a boomer. And I'm wondering about us boomers. Do we think the same about our legacies? Like all of us as a group. And when we go, um, will Generation X or the Millennials or whoever follows them, will they think the same about legacies or will they think differently about them? We've got the man who can tell us. Michael Adams is president of the Enveronics Group of Research and Communication Consulting Companies, written six books. He's a commentator on uh, social change and social values in North America, and he's a, an entertaining guy whose humor is based in data, real good, strong science. Michael, hello. Hello, Rob. First of all, am I true, is it right in saying that all boomers think the same about everything? Well, they don't, and they're, you know, our research studying social values of, uh, of the population at large. But, you know, you, you really ought to start with the boomers' parents because, uh, you know, there's the theory that we try to live up to the values of our parents. But, in fact, that era of affluence after the Second World War did kind of create a little different sort of uh, human. Uh, the baby boomer, uh, not all of them, actually, the, the defining baby boomer are the autonomous rebels. And they were people basically saying, okay, um, We've, uh, you know, don't trust anybody over 30. These were the leading edge of people questioning religion, questioning uh, patriarchy, uh, questioning traditional values. And they were taught in the 50s when the early ones went to school to think for themselves. They came home at the age of maybe 14 to say, Mom and Dad, I don't believe this uh, religion anymore. I'm not going to church. Dad sat down and said, as long as you live in this house, you will go to Mass. You're describing my house, because I was an altar boy, and I didn't think I wanted to do it anymore, but that was not a decision for but me. My dad said, I live with your mother, and I want to have a happy marriage, and <laughs> you can do what you want once you leave this house. So that's, that's essentially the world we came from, and it was a world that had been evolving over centuries. And, you know, Christianity put a great emphasis on rewards in the afterlife. And I can recall, and Rob, maybe you can too, our grandmother at her funeral, um, you know, a lot, the woman who lived a life of duty and self-sacrifice for her husband, for her children, for the church. When we buried her, we called her a saint. But mm -hmm. boomer women said, okay, it's great for, for Ma and Grandma, but, you know, I, I want to uh, have self-fulfillment. There are things that I want to do. And... Uh, I want to go to school, I want to be in those days, it was, I'm a teacher or a social worker. Within 15 years that became a lawyer and a doctor and everything else. But uh, So that, though, that mental posture of living a life of duty and self-sacrifice, of being motivated by, uh, by uh, guilt and noblesse oblige, 
that was the previous generation. And those are the kinds of values then that the baby boomers rejected. So there's a, a greater emphasis on, on immediate gratification, a great emphasis on fun, on spontaneity, and on questioning uh, traditional authority. You wrote a book with a, the title, Staying Alive, How Baby Boomers Will Work and Play and Find Meaning in the Second Half of Their Lives. So let's direct this to legacy. Are we going to be a really legacy-oriented group or or not? Okay, so their, their, let's say their, their charitable giving and so on has switched from leaving everything to your kids. So then they're thinking about other causes, and so, of course, the causes are not in the afterlife. The causes are in this life. And in Marshall McLuhan's Global Village, uh, given in his day it was television, today, of course, it's the Internet, but as he said wisely, in the Global Village, we all become entirely connected to the other and also have a sense of responsibility, feel a sense of responsibility to the other. And so when you, when you see, you, you know, you read the newspaper and you can read about 50,000 people, you know, drowning in Bangladesh, you turn the paper and say, how did the Jays do last night? But when you see pictures on television of just one kid, one baby, Alan Kurdi in our era, the little boy who died on the beach in yep. Turkey, and it moved uh, a, a generation. It, it moved everyone, and they were wanting, what can we do? And they got, on, of course, we now have the Internet. They could get and give money to Lifeline Syria. They can give to the Red Cross, etc. So we feel that connection. So that the... The emphasis then is more on the here and now, more on trying to improve the lot of our fellow human beings, all seven or eight billion of them. And so in their charitable giving, what I see with them is that, again, they're not giving out of a sense of duty or tradition. They're saying, we want to make a difference. We want to direct where our money is going. We want to know where it's going. We want measurable results. We're not just doing it, you know, we're not just buying time off purgatory you, you know used to be if you gave money to the church like indulgences you could buy time off purgatory for your sins well we're now thinking that's not what we're looking for we're looking to try to change the lives of others on this planet now another thing has happened over the last 50 years and that's affluence the boomers parents typically worked very hard and they left everything to the kids and everything wasn't very much it might be the house Hopefully, you know, the mortgage was paid off. But a lot of these boomers have done very, very well. And for the first time, you have a large number of people thinking, my concern is to uh, not leave my kids too much money and ruin them. So we are trying to be, you know, involved with our kids, but it's helping them now. It's not waiting till we die before, you know, they're going to be, they could be 50. Well, you know, they need help when they're in their mid-20s or early 30s. So our, our, and then our sense is, okay, we'll give them enough. Let's say, well, we'll give them the down payment on the house, but then they've got to carry the darn thing. And, uh, and then we're also thinking, you know, there's, we've done our duty to our kids. Now what about all the other children on the planet? What about the planet itself? So you're getting a, a, a different sort of thinking, a strategic kind of a thinking on the part of baby boomers and affluent baby boomers in particular of thinking, well, okay, I do my duty to my family, but there's more than my family that I feel a connection to. The old saw that 60's the new 40, or 70's the new 50. Um, 
but we are living longer. So we're also thinking differently from the from our parents in that uh, how are we going to live longer? Or are we going to have the dough, the money, to live as long as we think we're going to? And then we're not going to retire, I don't think, in the traditional sense. But I'm just still wondering, is, is the group of boomers, are we... You've given a pretty rosy picture of us thinking of what we can do for the world and what we can do better for our kids and, and the environment and, uh, and other people with, who don't live a North American kind of life, like Bangladesh. Are, is everybody thinking along those lines, or do we have to... No, not everybody's boot, thinking boot that way, but we are thinking... Remember, our parents, when they retired, let's say Dad retires at 65, he, li- he had another 10 years to go, so the idea that he felt, okay, I've earned a rest... And basically, I'll just you know exchange cliches with the guys at the golf club for ten years, and and his mm-hmm. wife was quite pleased that he'd be go off to the golf club because she shouldn't certainly didn't want him sitting around the house all the time. But they lived another ten years, so though there you get a whole different sense of what your life is going to be about. It's basically a rest and and having good times and maybe a martini at five o'clock with your with your buddies or a beer after golf and so on. But um, now boomers are living. 20 years after 65, and the better educated, healthier ones are living 30 years after uh, 65. Well, if you've got a time horizon of 30 years, uh, goofing off every day and just having fun and playing golf and all of that sort of thing. Get a little boring. It, it's not an, it's boring. And, and, uh, and if you don't, you know, the, the YMCA is this great motto, body, mind, and spirit. So they're starting to think, okay, I better start, first of all, I better take care of my body. So I've got to start working out and hiking and doing all sorts of things. Uh, if I feel better, I'm going to actually be able to spend some time with my kids and my grandchildren. You've described well the, my parents' generation, the greatest generation, and how boomers differed from them. Just to go back, uh, we define legacy in the book as something that, number one, connects you to people, um, enhances all your lives, uses your signature strengths, and makes you happier. And the, the key to the... Our a concept of legacy is that you can create them and enjoy them now. So you describe the boomers as, as being much more, is thinking differently from uh, are their parents. How will we think differently or what will we push down an idea of serving the world and creating legacies to uh, Gen X or the boomers or Gen X or the millennials? Okay, so I, we've talked about, you know, those autonomous rebels among the, uh, among the uh, boomer generations. There is a group millennials uh, called engaged idealists you know these are people that tell you what kind of a job do they want and they say I want a job that's meaningful the baby boomers probably would have had a traditional job like it would have been teaching or in, you know engineers or this or that they would have done whatever was available the engaged idealists these are uh, kids that actually will get together with other kids like themselves and start businesses and they'll start social enterprises and uh, so it's, it, they're just not looking for a job at the bank. And if they do go to the bank, they're going to say, okay, we've got to, this, this place has to be progressive. It's got to be engaged, you know, diverse. Others have to work here. By the way, you're going to have to teach me something. And also, this bank better be a good bank. And if it's not, I'm quitting. I'm going to leave. They'll leave in a second. The, the engaged idealist is, a, you're calling them a millennial. It seems we've jumped over a whole generation called Generation X, or have we? I could give you a profile of them. Essentially, they were less secure than were the baby boomer generation and the uh, engaged idealists because they, you know, kind of growing up in the 70s, this was a time of stagflation, a time, you know, we had oil crisis and so on. 
And so they, they produced a group that we call Security Seeking Ascetics. So they, they wanted to be successful. They want to, you know, have, have a couple of kids, live in the suburbs, and, and they, they're kind of a quieter group. But the millennials who came after them, you know, the ones born in, what, 19, I'm just trying to think, 1980 and after, it's kind of 80 to 1995, it's a much more robust generation, more out there, more confident. In fact, a lot of their parents would say they're crazily too confident. I'm going to fly the helicopter up a little bit and, and, because I want to bring it back to legacy and how generations think of legacy. I sense from you then a, a, a bit of optimism in that as we've moved down the line from our parents' generation, the great generation, to boomers, to X, to millennial, and whoever's following, each generation is becoming a little bit more aware of their distinct values and what drives them and what's important to them. Is that true, and is that going to bode well for the kids of the future who are going to say, what can I do to benefit the society I live in? The society is changing, technology, the economy, all of those sorts of things are changing, but you do get people kind of left behind, and, uh, and it depends on the kind of society. Is the society one that's going to really work on and try to help the people who are left behind and, and help them find meaningful employment and other engagements in, in life, uh, or are they going to be left behind and, and, and then potentially um, you know, be kind of a backlash? against those who are uh, who are successful what legacy that you've created and are enjoying now what do you, what are you going to leave behind that will continue to positively affect lives that uh, you could call a legacy well i you know i've set up my embryonics institute so you know i started this company in 1970 it'll be 50 years old in 2020 I'll have to have a big party, I'm sure. I guess so. Um, and then 10 years ago, I started the Envronics Institute to survey people not normally heard from, asking questions not normally asked, who we think need to be heard. So I believe that you need to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You need to have a sense of empathy. You've got to know where they come from. And then I do my best to get this information out either by writing op-eds in the newspaper or writing books and so on, trying to get get my uh, my word out there. So I probably will leave the Envronics Institute then as a legacy um, to continue doing public interest, uh, public opinion research. Well, everybody listening can learn more about Michael and his books. The one we talked about here is called Staying Alive. You'll learn about it uh, at uh, LegacyCafe.org forward slash Adams. So, Michael, we'll make sure people can get your books uh, on the site there and I want to thank you very much for the the background the content the wisdom and I, I quite appreciate it thank you I mean I very much enjoyed uh, our conversation and look forward to the next one thank you folks I'm Rob Lucy this is the Legacy Cafe we'll see you next time thanks for listening to the Legacy Cafe podcast we have lots of great conversations coming your way and by the way if you want us to send you reminders that a new podcast is ready for you Go to LegacyCafe.org to subscribe. That's LegacyCafe.org. Have a great day, and remember, the coffee and conversations are always hot at the Legacy Cafe.